Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Girls Gone Canon, Shiloh and the Sandman. Yes, featuring our friend Shiloh Carroll, no stranger to the podcast. You've heard her voice before back during Brienne in A Song of Ice and Fire, but also Shiloh is on today to help us talk about Neil Gaiman and the many worlds, the medieval worlds specifically, of Neil Gaiman. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I'm another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yes, this week is a special trick or a treat episode that is both a trick and a treat. You are not getting an Aswaf episode nor a Sailor Moon episode. You are getting a Neil Gaiman episode <laughs> with the treats of both Shiloh and... Oh, we'll get to this in a second. You gotta leave a little leave a little suspense in our relationships, <laughs> everyone. Some tension. <laughs> Welcome, Shiloh. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back. They don't all come back, you know? <laughs> I don't know if that's like an us thing or what, but sometimes they just don't come back. No, I'm just kidding. We're so lucky to have you on. And if you are familiar with Shiloh, this is not Shiloh's first foray into the the world of pages and pages of words <laughs> and books. First rodeo. <laughs> no, not our first rodeo. Shiloh, you have a great book about Game of Thrones. And my God, you've done it again with the medieval <laughs> worlds of Neil Gaiman. Tell us a little bit about your new novel. Well, it's not a novel. <laughs> it is to me. <laughs> a novel. No, it's not a novel. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, Medieval Worlds and Neil Gaiman, it was kind of a follow-on to, it was sort of a what do I do next after medievalism and A Song of Ice and Fire. And I, like Neil Gaiman, have since probably undergrad, I think. So it was probably 23, 24 when I first started reading Neil Gaiman and fell madly in love. And <laughs> and then I went, hey, there's a lot going on here that I could absolutely talk about as far as medievalism goes. More than my first thought was Buffy. Hmm. And then I looked hmm. at it and went, interesting, there's interesting. not enough here. <laughs> there's enough for a couple of, of essays, which I did end up doing and putting up on my website. But there wasn't enough for a book. But there is absolutely enough in Neil Gaiman. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what people can expect. Because, you know, I was actually telling a friend about having you on and what <laughs> we were going to talk about. And he lo- really likes Neil Gaiman. I remember one time he and I were on a trip and he was like, he was reading the Norse mythology book mm-hmm. by Gaiman, and he was like, Neil Gaiman doesn't have a lot of medieval worlds. And I was like, that's not true. So You're so reading Norse mythology, my dude. What do you think that is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Norse mythology specifically is just he rewrote the Eddas, which mm-hmm. are medieval. What we have of them is written down around 1,000 CE, some of it by an unknown author. We have no idea who did it. And then some of it was written down by Snorri Sturluson. So the stuff we have written obviously is predated by an incredibly long tradition of these these myths and legends and all of that fun stuff. So yes, if he's reading <laughs> he's reading um, Norse mythology, he is reading medieval literature. <laughs> Well, I think that's like a great clarification, right? Because I think a lot of people don't associate the two with one another. That is a medievalism that we have all passed down culturally, right? Like we mm-hmm. think of the medieval worlds as things that take place in in mostly Western Europe during mm-hmm. this time of knights and chivalry. But like, as you pointed out, Norse mythology is absolutely, absolutely part of it. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, to share background, I'm not, I'm not big into Gaiman. I like Gaiman. I've read a little bit of Gaiman. I've read Norse mythology which 
I'm excited now to kind of break into this book and read some of that part, some of the parts you've written about it. Because I actually read that before we did Bran on our Song of Ice and Fire podcast, just because I was like, this could come in handy. Mm -hmm. This could be an interesting read, because I really also am very, very into mythology and like recreations of mythology that embrace certain parts of the story and expand on them. I think those are rad. But I've also read American Gods, which I think definitely has a little bit here and there sprinkled throughout some some of that same mythology mm-hmm. and kind of leads back to some of the Middle Ages in some areas too. So I'm really curious to see what all is in there, whether it's fairy tales and Beowulf to, to what's going on. All kinds of stuff. What would you say is one of your favorite parts of the book or one of the parts of the book that you felt really passionately about that you could share with us? I'm going to say I loved all of them, but no, some were more sloggy than others. Yeah. I think I the one that I had the most fun with was Beowulf because there's so much going on there both with their adapting a medieval text and doing it in ways that unknowingly to to them feed right into the ways that scholars have been talking about Beowulf for like 500 years at this point and it's just like Hmm. So this seems to be baked into the way that modern that people approach Beowulf is this is too Christian. How do we stop it? Where is the original pagan story in here? I know it's in here. I'm gonna go find it. And it's n- no, it's not. <laughs> the version that we have is foundationally Christian. Sorry. <laughs> Got it. That's interesting. That mm-hmm. is really interesting. Can you give us a definition of what it is like uh, that you're interested in studying, what medievalism is for the people who, for the listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the term? So medievalism is separate from medieval studies or the the Middle Ages in that the Middle Ages is, you know, that period of time between about 515-ish Hundred, depending on how you decide to split it. Mostly in Europe and the Middle East and maybe North Africa is usually where we think of the Middle Ages happening because stuff was happening differently, obviously, in like China and the Americas and stuff. It's not really accurate to talk about like medieval South America (laughs) because they had their own thing happening. And all of the politics and religion and culture and literature that was happening during that time in those places. And medieval studies is looking directly at those texts and and all of that stuff. Medievalism is what happened after that. And how people have talked about and recast and sort of added layers to this onion of historiography around the Middle Ages. And then I sit and kind of unpack all of that (laughs) and look at why do we think this about this time period? Why do we Mm. insist on everybody was dirty and they all wore brown. What's going on there? What does that serve? How does that serve us? How does that serve the text that's being written in order to cast them that way? The narrative. (laughs) And I love that you called out the onion because like the onion plays a really important part in one of like my, you know, favorite medieval stories, Shrek. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it's a medievalist fairy tale. It counts. I, I think it's actually a foundational text, as you were saying, right, of Beowulf, right? It's it's an actual true story that we've passed down for generations. Sure. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. 
Can't argue with that one, can you, Shiloh? Shiloh's <laughs> like, what have I agreed to? Why am I here? Eliana's only gotten better with age, in my opinion. <laughs> like, an ogre. Okay, sorry. Let's continue. So, Eliana, what would you say is, like, your Gaiman background? I know you have a little bit of reading background with Gaiman. Honestly, it, it is, like, a little, right? I've read maybe, like, a couple of shorts that I, like, don't remember anymore. Sometimes I just, like, don't know and I've read a short story. I read the the children's book about a father being a goldfish or something like that. Oh. The day I swapped my dad for two goldfish. Yep. Yes, that <laughs> one. That one. Um, I have that one somewhere at home. American Gods, which you and I have discussed privately, I guess, Chloe, and I read The Sandman a long time ago. Now, in like fall 2010, it had been out for a while and I'd heard about it. I had taken a class about comics and in university and people like kept talking about it. And that was actually like just a very fateful season for me. That was the one that I also met my partner in. So yeah, very fateful. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess I I had not read it. I had friends who had read Stardust when I was like, what, in middle school, but I had not read it. And eventually it came out as a movie, watched it, and apparently it is not not very much like the book. That's <laughs> what I've heard. <laughs> some of it is, and some of it isn't. They've they've changed some stuff around. They completely changed the ending, which that, that's what I remember yeah. them saying. Yeah, and they made Captain Shakespeare's part a lot bigger. Which you know what I was like, I'm okay with this. This is brilliant. Hmm. And the way they changed the ending also made sense because you're going from a much quieter sort of fairy tale thing to it's cinema. You have to have these big set piece battles and stuff they don't really have that in the book yeah chloe what about you as mentioned american gods definitely norse mythology and other than that you actually eliana are the reason i read american gods and i don't think you remember this but we've mentioned (laughs) it you've reminded me of that (laughs) yeah eliana was reading american gods around 2017 ish and was like oh yeah i just read that it was pretty good and i was like well i'm gonna read it then because we had a cute little group friendship message going on with our uh, our friend and sweet yft as well and we were all talking about gaiman and what books and stories we had read from him so that's about that's it i did watch season one of american gods which Same. i liked a lot of the changes i thought that they did great and then i watched Same. one episode of season two and i will not return to it and you know <laughs> um fair. justice for fucking orlando after what they did out there yeah. that was uh, what the fuck was that but that that was a little i wasn't into that and so I did watch Sandman for both of you, literally you two, and the things I do for love, right? Am I right? And I, it's interesting because from what I'm hearing, it's a much better adaptation compared to what happened with American Gods in season two. Rest in peace. And I don't know, I'm very interested to hear today as we get into it, some of you guys' thoughts on the adaptation. And uh, as people who've read the comics, my roommate uh, has read the comic and has you know he's been invested in sandman already so it was funny because he was watching he's like yeah that happens here this is where it happens it holds up the comic strip to me and he's like so you know i'm like thanks interesting he's been giving me kind of the rundown but i'm really interested in hearing all that before we jump into that though there is one really exciting thing we're gonna do which is a giveaway of your book of the medieval worlds of neil gaiman exclusive giveaway (laughs) one of you listening could get this copy and wait it's gonna be signed it's gonna be signed is that true yeah Ooh. Oh my god. Woo! Woo! That value just shot I'm, up. I'm fucking jealous. I'm making burner accounts in the background. You can't see me, you two, but I'm just like, they'll never know it's me. Send it to a P.O. box. It's going to Schmlowy. 
from Schmorl's Schmon Schman. Uh, what? They'll never know. And you can win a signed copy of Shiloh's book if you send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com from the email that you would like to be contacted at if you win. So please keep that in mind. Do not make a burner that you'll yeah, never come back to. Do not make a burner. Uh, <laughs> you'll have to share your shipping information with us, but uh, that'll come if you win. So don't don't send it yet. We don't we don't want that. And <laughs> don't dox yourself. Uh, yeah, don't dox yourself to me yet, unless you win. But send us a quick blurb telling us about your favorite game and piece. It could be one sentence. It could be a few sentences. You can make an essay. It will not improve your chances of winning. But I mean, we'll still read it. Uh, we love a good email, and we will be selecting a random winner from this again. How good your email is does not influence your odds. <laughs> yeah. We will select this at the front of November, and we will be emailing you in the front of November. So get your entry in by November 5th, 2023 to us. If you're listening to this later than the release date, please get it in by November 5th, and we will randomly select a winner. I'm excited. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. Mm-hmm. We'll remind you throughout this episode, uh, this, <laughs> this this recording. So we've talked about our favorites, and, like, are you allowed to, like, pick a favorite? Shiloh, <laughs> what is your favorite? Is it, like, um, picking like, I a favorite assume you've child? read all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's not legitimately what I'm asking. Oh, God. If I... I think if I had... It depends on my mood, I think, because... Sandman has a lot of stuff going on and it's like just really rich and lovely and I love every every bit of it but it can get kind of dark and you don't mm. always want dark. Interesting. <laughs> Stardust is light and fluffy and happy and nice and and I love that too but you know sometimes you want something a little more serious and it just, it just depends. I really really do like his take on Norse mythology though. I re- I love what he's done with that. Mm. Mhm. Interesting. Sandman is really dark. Yeah. I was like We'll talk about it, mm-hmm. but it, it's very dark. As you, as you said, right, Sandman has, like, a lot of different things. It's come out recently on Netflix, and I think because it touches on so many... It, it's a very flexible story, the way that Gaiman has approached it, and touches many different parts mm-hmm. of time, stories, including medieval worlds, is part of why we were like, oh, this could be a good intro for people into your book. So let's dig into it a little. Like, this is, like, as far as I know... The first adaptation of this story, they tried to adapt other parts of the Sandman cinematically a couple different ways. But yeah, mm. let's talk about this one. Let's start with the casting. <laughs> yeah. The, this casting is fabulous. This is absolutely great casting. I was trying to like list out like an especially, like I especially like these people and ended up just like with the entire cast. But it was like Charles Dance and Gwendolyn Christie and Boyd Holbrook, who is killing it, by the way. We got Jenna Coleman. We've got Kirby Howell Baptiste. Mason Alexander Park was a sleeper hit for me. I had no idea who they were before it started. And then Mm. they show up as Desire the first time, and I went, oh, that is Desire. Wow. Nailed it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was so great. It was, like, sensual and very scary, and I really loved that. Mm -hmm. You know, having them as desire was beautiful. Got it was just a great beautifully smile. done. Just perfect. Like oh, chef's kiss. Those lips yeah. and those teeth. Yeah. 
And they got like, basically every Brit, you know, <laughs> they took the entire pool of casting, like happens in shows that are uh, mostly cast from the UK, mm-hmm. and they cast every damn actor. David Thewlis. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, oh my God, David Thewlis. I do have to shout out the American actor, <laughs> Pat Noswell, as the burb, as the, the oh, burb. Yep. that's why I like the burb was. so much. I loved the way they adapted Matthew, mm-hmm. so I didn't know One that American was Pat Noswell. Yeah, he was kind of my favorite, actually. It was jarring. Like, it was very jarring that he had, like, the, here's the American <laughs> voice. Yeah, so true about about the casting. They also, like, did a lot of things, you know, to make it more diverse than in the comic that mm-hmm. I thought worked brilliantly. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, Mason Alexander Park, great choice. I didn't realize this. They are apparently also, sorry to them, in the Cowboy Bebop live action <laughs> adaptation. Not nearly as good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, rest in pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Quick plug, though, for the, uh, I like the One Piece. I like the One Piece live action. That one was fun. I'm hearing fucking phenomenal things about that, and I really want to watch it, by the way. I watched some of the original anime, so I feel like it might be for me. Yeah, and love Kirby Howell Baptiste, right? She she was great as death mm-hmm. as well. I was kind of, uh, and this comes from somebody who obviously does not, has not read the comic and the graphic adaptation. I, I was bummed. I wanted more of death. I thought death was supposed to... Listen, I'm coming from a world where I've been going to conventions for 20 years and seen random death cosplayers Mm -hmm. stares at Eliana. (laughs) Random death cosplayers uh, my whole life. So I was like, I was hyped. I was like, ooh, I get to understand it. And there was barely any death in it. (laughs) What the fuck was that? You gotta watch season two. (laughs) Yeah, will they have more? Like, I think that there must be more. I I love her in The Good Place and also... Mm -hmm. I just like that choice because when I played Death, I am not a pale person. I threw on a bunch of like, I had to like throw on like a bunch of like white body paint. It was only for Halloween costumes, so it wasn't like anything serious. It was really bad. It was looked really bad on me, but that's the point maybe. No, 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 it was fun in a way, but also looked really bad. Anyway, so. But now we have a canon Black Death, so you can totally cosplay without having to (laughs) do that. Whiten yourself. Um, Yeah. So I, again, I didn't really have background knowledge entering this. So I was very like just riding the motherfucking wave, letting it all wash over me, coming to our group chat and yelling to you guys about what the fuck this just (laughs) happened. In fact, a fun anecdote is that I spent the first half and this is just like based on how we watch TV. I was like, some of the characters are, I, I didn't understand the the flavor of the week variety of the mini plots, you know, like, oh, this is just showing you what's happening. Like you, some of the characters, yes, will come back, but you don't need to remember all these little one-off things right this moment by exact detail. It's in a Saga of Ice and Fire fan problem is what I'm fucking trying to say. <laughs> so I kind of, I think, was taking the first half too seriously. And now I'm like, oh, I could have just let it ride a little more. What do you think adaptation wise? I mean, how do you guys feel from reading it before and seeing it put on a screen, the pacing, everything. How do you feel about that? I think that the way that they went about it is was really, really good and also introduced some kind of weird issues where they had... So Sandman kind of goes in arcs, and they mm-hmm. gave us two of the arcs for the first season. And I think if you didn't know that, it would be like, wait, wait on the back half of the season, where are we? What is happening? Who are these people? Mm. It doesn't necessarily feel unified as a single season. That first half was absolutely brilliant. They, it was almost lockstep with the way that it shows up in the comics. 
and you could even the way that Emmett was doing your your uh, the way your roommate was doing, <laughs> literally look at panels in the comic and see exactly they shot it to look yes. exactly like panels yes. in the comic, and it was absolutely lovely, especially with the capturing dream and then his escape. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly. Yeah. It looks exactly mm-hmm. like that. I was like, wow, brilliant job. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think they did a great job of establishing because it is kind of different in all those episodes, which is I think unexpected like each episode kind of has a different texture i would even say Mm -hmm. which makes Mm -hmm. sense because like visually in the comic like so many different artists were tapped into illustrating the different things so each one kind of has its own different style too which also makes sense right uh you know when i dream each dream kind of has its own texture as mm-hmm. well. So. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to contextualize it. Why didn't you tell me that seven days ago? <laughs> well, what it turns out I, I forgot to tell you a lot of things. I was like, I forgot how graphic this was. was like, Every oh, episode, I'd be like, I'm on this episode. And she'd be like, shit, I should have warned you. Shit, <laughs> I, I should have like, warned you. Well, and then you're like reacting. I'm like, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. This was like, this was a lot, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Shiloh warned me. Yeah. yeah. Shiloh, Shiloh warned me, thankfully, about some stuff. Yeah. So I got to miss out. We won't probably go too much into it, but there's a little animal violence Mm -hmm. that Shiloh has warned me about that I was able to not get too upset over, except when I was about to watch it today and I was like holding my cat and I was like looking in her eyes and I was like, I'm so sorry, I'll never put a thing like that on our screen ever. So it's normal at my house. Things are great. I'm normal. (laughs) It's interesting that the first half has different pacing kind of than the second half to the comic. Because I actually found myself starting to get really invested in the second half. And maybe that's because of Rose and Jed. Mm -hmm. When they enter the plot, I really did get a little more into it. So I find that really interesting on the pacing. I mean, that works too, I think, because a lot of... Kind of throughout the series, it's way more about people and their stories Mm -hmm. and kind of how those stories intersect with dream and all of the other stuff i think because if it was just about him we would probably get bored (laughs) so yeah setting it up and having his story being first great but then yeah we get into here are some people and they're having actual people problems that kind of cross over with supernatural issues and bring them into contact with the dreaming but it's not just Mm. dream going around putting everything back together I really loved that, too, because I was thinking it would be very dream-centric every episode, and it was great that he just disappeared Mm -hmm. several episodes at a time and didn't fucking matter. I mean, that's kind of neat, and they still held to me without Mm him. And we'll talk about our favorite episodes in just a minute, but like the diner episode, for example, that was where I was like, oh, this show's kind of fucked up. Okay. cool cool and i'm watching and i'm like because i was really expecting dream to start coming back and those couple of episodes don't revolve around him in my opinion which are uh pretty good mm-hmm. yeah reminder we have a giveaway for shiloh's book don't forget send us an yeah email. you can also buy shiloh's book we'll put a link yeah if you don't think the odds are in your favor go out and buy the medieval worlds of neil gaiman you should probably be able to get it at a store near you i know it's out now on shelves yeah it is ranked apparently on Amazon. I didn't notice its top new release. <laughs> yeah. For 21st century literary criticism, yeah. Which is super cool. Congrats. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you were talking about the diner episode, and that was actually like my favorite episode, I think, of of these. And maybe that was also the most gory. <laughs> I'm like, you <laughs> sick fuck. You're so <laughs> fucked up. I am a little bit. Um... When I saw you jot down that the diner episode was your favorite episode, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Who hurt you? 
there's a lot wrong with me. Yeah, I thought that was like such a such a great like singular episode and how they adapted all of that and like the very I don't know surrealist but like haunting nature of it. And then uh, maybe also because I was warned, maybe I'm like a little biased in that when I was going into that episode, my uh partner who had watched the series already i think before me was like oh it's this episode i was like okay what does that mean (laughs) (laughs) i was like interesting so yeah i think my first pass through it it was like 24 7 and i'm like oh here we go (laughs) yeah so i thought that was like really yeah It was fun. How about how about all of you? What were your favorite episodes? I'm going to be super basic, probably. It's probably everybody's favorite episode and say The Sound of Her Wings. What's well, not mine? So it's not mine. <laughs> no. it's mo- not mine a lot of people's favorite episode. Partly because of the death thing. I, I love how Kirby Howell Baptiste plays death. And then I loved how they just blended right into essentially then one of the later issues and just right on into Hob and Hob Gadling is one of my favorite characters. So I loved getting to, to see his whole story like really early. Yeah. Especially because those two are back to back, right? Five and six, right? Uh, Diner. And then that the diner and then sound of her wings. I was watching, I think the diner episode, like I said, is what really got me kind of like, Oh, this show's fucked up. I got to finish it out just to figure out what the fuck's going on. I got to make sense of it. Uh, and so I'm watching the diner episode and I was so engrossed in the diner episode that I missed the Netflix next screen. <laughs> and it, it, I guess it just kept playing. And I don't know how I missed it, but it just kept playing. And I thought I was in the middle of a very long episode. <laughs> it was like, holy shit, is this like two hours? I was super fucking confused. But those two episodes really got me interested. They were really good mid-season episodes because I feel like a lot of adaptations can sometimes get a little mid-season. It's like sometimes filler mm. kills you. <laughs> Filler can be killer in a bad way, but oh. not in this. It really, it really ramped up. Mm-hmm. I loved like Dollhouse and Playing House. I really loved those two episodes. Huge Doctor Who fan, mm-hmm. which Gaiman obviously has uh, tranced around in that world here and there, and I think uh, had very Doctor Who esque plot lines, and that's what gripped me of you know cause and effect mm. and dream travel and dreams. I and we'll talk more, but I love the dream. I love the dream worlds in general from the very beginning to the very end and being on those different worlds and how time moves different, time streams flow differently there. thought that was a really great run, mm-hmm. had me hooked, and I really love Galt's character and character design, mm-hmm. so playing House might be one of my favorites for that. I have to say the costuming and the uh, prosthetic work and some of like the, the little bits like the purpley pink veins almost, like thunder almost running through her body was just incredible. So probably my favorites are uh, that run of Dollhouse and Playing House. I, I I thought those were fun episodes too. And yeah, I like I like Galt's storyline and how it plays into some of the themes that we'll talk about in a second of the story in regards to change. And yeah, I mean, all of you, you can also let us know what you think about the adaptation and the Sandman when you enter for the giveaway <laughs> and send us your send an email to us to win Shiloh's book. Or I mean, again, you can also buy it. <laughs> yeah, head to the store, buy the medieval worlds of Neil Gaiman by Shiloh Carroll, or pop us an email to enter that drawing yeah. at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. C A N O N, one N. <laughs> well, two, but. That's true, but one N in the middle. Only one <laughs> You'll hump. You'll figure it out. One hump You'll in get the middle. You'll get it bounce back. A single humped camel. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things that change with time, <laughs> it's like our knowledge of making emails, um, Galt. Galt is, I think, a fantastic way of approaching that, as does, like, you know, these this idea of change and dreams changing or nightmares changing 
they started it with like the Gregory stuff in the beginning, but it comes up, you know, over and over throughout the series. But how about all of you? What are some of the themes that you liked that came through in this adaptation? Speaking like blindly, because I don't know what the fucking themes are <laughs> in the story <laughs> until I watch this. So this is really, I'm grasping. <laughs> There's a lot about family, right? There's hubris, legacy. One thing that didn't change throughout time is Charles Dance. <laughs> Shout uh. out to that sexy, fine old man. <laughs> Uh, and he was so mean. I was so mad at him in this. I was like, Emmett, my roommate, mm-hmm. was asking me, you know, where I was, what was going on. And I'm like, Charles Dance is a fucking prick. <laughs> I love him. He did what he does best in this mm-hmm. show. You know, he gets typecast for a reason. So God, he's good at it. But, you know, from the very start with Charles Dance, he does himself in when Dream isn't even what he wanted. Like, the whole entire reason half of this is happening is because he <laughs> kept Dream captive even though Dream wasn't death, he got the wrong motherfucker. <laughs> and he, like, keeps him captive and then, like, ruins his entire family. Like, he already treated his kid like shit because the other one died. And Dream can't give him what he wants. And so you see that, like, because he can't reach this great idea of legacy, takes it out on everyone around him. Kid ends up, you know, he dies because of his son. Thank God. And good for him. <laughs> sure, it fucked the kid up, but, like, good for him at the same time. But it's interesting how that is the cause to the effect of the whole series of all of the worlds kind of disintegrating and how Dream's kingdom has uh, crumbled a little bit without him there. And kind of riding off of the hubris issue, was Morpheus just absolutely refusing to give Alex even the consideration to say, no, I, I won't hurt you if you let me out. And that's all that he wanted because he was terrified. <laughs> Like, he wasn't his his dad, Charles Dance, there asking for gifts and stuff that he couldn't get, but... Mm-hmm. And the, the Jessamy thing isn't in the comics, but I okay. think putting it in really gave them a reason for Morpheus to be like, no, motherfucker, you killed my bird. <laughs> I'm not promising yeah. you anything. Yeah. I did think that was an interesting part of this adaptation, but first coming back to, you know, Chloe, you're talking about family hubris and legacy and that is absolutely i think an astute and like i think that that speaks to the strength of this adaptation as well that you picked up on that because that is i think something that is ongoing throughout the whole series i also like the way that you said family it made me think a little bit of the fast and the furious another long time saga (laughs) that is also i think you know spans a lot of different things too but yeah in this adaptation they kind of like fleshed out alex's character is better like some of those parts where his father is asking for certain things alex is the one who i think if i'm not mistaken asks for those in the comic and like pushes for it so i thought it was really interesting the way that they they changed it to make his character more sympathetic but also complicit yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because he still keeps him there yeah exactly exactly it's not his first move a good person's first move would have been I'm so sorry, weird monster person that my dad, who was evil to both of us, which is the complicated part, right? Like, because even though Tywin, I mean, Charles (laughs) Dance, I mean, his dad was like awful and abusive to him. Like he was still his dad and that tie to family was still so strong for Alex of never being able to explore who he was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you're, you're really touching on something interesting here that goes throughout in all the different episodes right like later on you have edith like you're you're talking about this like parent child thing going on yeah or like lita right uh having the child that dream is supposed to come for eventually (laughs) i'm like no or some of those parent child relationships like dollhouse especially Mm -hmm. 
Galt being Jed's mom in the fantasy. Ooh, and like, yeah, yeah. that was so sad to me. Like, she was like, don't you see this child suffering? Can't I give him something? And Dream's like, but you're not. Like, you're <laughs> giving him horrible false hope. Like, he's suffering in real life. Like, all you're doing is just extending it and whatever. Jed and kind of the foster home, right? The awful relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so emotionally devastating for me. It reminded me of some Lifetime movies I've seen. The Corinthian, right? Why the Corinthian is able to leverage himself with these children and get them to come along because their relationships are already so riddled and horrible with abuse and with pain in their life, these children, that they're like, oh, okay. Or the whole demons in general, the demon, the serial convention, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like that found family versus family and abuse and greed and leveraging relationships. And it does come back a lot, in my opinion, to like Dream and Lucien. Like, I'd say they're almost like siblings, right? Mm-hmm. They aren't real siblings, but their relationship seems it was much closer before he disappeared and then blamed her for everything and said she's bad at her <laughs> job and she's just a librarian. But <laughs> I'm like, Dream, don't fucking start with me. <laughs> just because you're hot doesn't mean you can act like that, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Oddly, Galt was one of the things that when I f- watched it the first time through, I was like, what are you doing as an adaptation? Really? Because it, it's very, very different mm. in the comics. Um, the second time through watching the Doll's House arc, I liked it a lot better. I think stuff st- kind of clicked and I went, oh, okay, I see what you're you're doing here. The first time through is like, this isn't like a fa- as faithful an adaptation as the first half when it's happening here. But I don't think that they quite nailed the why is why does she take him out of the proper dreaming i don't think we got a really good explanation for that in the comics what we have is a a pair of demons named brute or not demons but nightmares named brute and glob (laughs) they're dc staples they're they're actual dc characters and i think part of getting them out of there was jettisoning a lot of the dc lore that would have kind of kept it down but they want to build their own version of the dreaming in Jed's head. They want to be in charge of the dreaming. And that's what, so it's, that's what they're doing there. But that wasn't what Galt was doing. So it was a little like, I don't quite see quite what you're, you're doing with this exactly. But um. she was fabulous. I liked her as a character mm-hmm. and the way, that, kind of the way that they yeah. let her stand up to dream a bit and be like, people can change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that he had to like come to terms with his own hubris about mm-hmm. it and bring her back, and and the metamorphosis. They were going off of a very famous film called A Bug's Life, <laughs> where the yeah. caterpillar says that he's a very beautiful butterfly, and I love that. But no, I'm I'm not. I'm half kidding about the <laughs> no, Bug's Life no, thing. No, but no, like, that's also a foundational medieval thank you. text. <laughs> bugs have been around for bugs have been around for a really long time. I don't know if all of yeah, you know. Up there next to Shrek, um, they also have yeah. a you know they also have a monarchy. In a bug's life. Ooh, a bug's life wed. Feudalism. You're right. Hopper and his crew. Mm, yeah. We should. Yeah. We'll we talk sh- about this offline, but I'm into this idea of a bug's life. And then we can talk about ants with the Z. Oh, a <laughs> whole can't. series. Helena Targaryen does Girls Gone Canon. Uh, yeah, I, I. that's so interesting that I fucking am obsessed with the galt shit and the, the, the dollhouse art right there. That's interesting. They were doing it for me and me alone. <laughs> I almost wonder if they made him too soft in those, though. But, like, for some of the stuff. Yeah. For, like, where his story is going. Yeah. 
even on the second time through, I was like, he's too nice. Yeah. No spoilers. Exactly. Like, you're doing this too early, you guys. <laughs> you need to keep him kind of yeah. standoffish and kind of mean a little bit still at this phase. It's, it's too early for him to be all, all soft and nice. Right, because at the end, they finally he finally said... It was so funny, because the whole entire season, I kept saying to uh, my roommate, I just kept saying, like, okay, but this is literally your fault, Dream. Like, don't be mad at them. Like, you disappeared got your ass captured by Tywin like this is not don't you need to admit like that they at least tried to upkeep shit while you're gone and then finally he literally said it to them when he was standing in the cliff he's like yes I have been a tool because I have been being mean to you all because of my own issues but I do think that's a fast resolution and I wonder if it's just we got to keep him likable you know yeah, probably keep that pretty face on money mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah you gotta you gotta make him likable enough and you know, have people kind of see that because they're like, we got to secure that second season, mm-hmm. etc. Um, <laughs> but also, like, as, as Shiloh pointed out, they the Sandman was what? Published by Vertigo Comics, I think, which is an offshoot, like, mm-hmm. of, of DC, DC Comics. Yeah. It gets a little more, um, they get a little more creative, like, artistic freedom. But it does have a lot of stuff from, the, like, Batman. Batman shows up in the fucking Sandman comics, alright? Like, I don't think they had the money to do all of that dc ip plus what mm-hmm. dc did they pull out they pulled out of it right like netflix's stuff i think yeah maybe um and that's so. another another thing with lyda and hector who again in the comics if you want to be really pedantic about it hector was the i want to say silver age sandman Oh, I don't remember. I don't know. Okay. And what what was happening with that whole storyline was Brute and Glob had grabbed him right as he was dying and shoved him into this faux dreaming. And Lyda went with Uh. him. So Lyda was sitting there being pregnant for like five years. Jesus. Being like nine months pregnant for five years, poor thing. So she was part of Jed's storyline in the comics instead Mm, of part of Rose's. So yeah, that was another thing the first time through. I was like, what is happening here? But I think it worked better if you Mm. didn't want to acknowledge that Hector and and Lyda were DC characters, which they didn't really Mm -hmm. need to. It was fine. Instead, they just let Jed be Sandman, basically, and just rolled with it. Yeah. And that was cute. I think that was Mm -hmm. a really cute nod, too, to have him in his little costume. I'm worried about that kid. I don't want to talk about it, but I'm just, I'm real worried about him, especially the face my roommate made about him when I said that I was worried about him. My roommate was like, "Mm." (laughs) the fuck does that mean? But don't tell me, don't tell me anyone. I'm interested to see where they go in season two. I'm not sure if I'll watch it or not yet. I might get sucked back in because of YouTube, but they do have season two, right? Mm -hmm. It's greenlit. Is that what I've heard from you? Yes. And they had been shooting for about two weeks before the writer's strike hit. Shit. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So as soon as the as soon as the actors come back from strike, they're gonna resume shooting. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, like at the end of the episodes, it says it's official. More episodes are coming mm-hmm. at the end of like what episode eleven, I guess. And then also, mm-hmm. when you pull it up on Netflix, it says it there right at the top, just so you all know that it's not a canceled show yet because <laughs> Netflix is notorious for doing that. Yeah. It says it's official. More episodes are coming. Also there. <laughs> on the little Netflix app, mm-hmm. so don't worry, we'll wait till season three to cancel it. <sighs> That's actually what they do because contracts are renegotiated after the second season, yep. and like the rates. Yeah. Anyway, that's what the whole striking <laughs> thing is about. <laughs> yup. So if we come back, hopefully we will have something good. 
Earth than that. <laughs> Maybe Netflix will have a new clause that they'll be like, fine, we'll renegotiate after three seasons. I haven't done them. Yeah. It'll be a season four cancel. I haven't fully done the math, but if I had to guesstimate if they're going to get all the way through all of the comics, we're looking at five, maybe six seasons? Maybe hmm. a little longer? I'd have, Unless... to, I'd have to do math. If we're doing like two arcs per season and then maybe in, like yeah. a bonus episode with one of some of the standalones. I guess they could like, they could maybe condense some of them, but I don't know yet how they would do that. Yeah. I'm just wondering if they're going to like explore that or whatever. I don't know. But they do like a lot of groundwork that mm -hmm. would happen in later seasons. And I think in my opinion... Granted, I didn't know that there would be, like, foreshadowing when I read the comics through the first time. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but knowing what I know now, I think they did a really good job of laying the groundwork for foreshadowing for the Absolutely. future. And even with all Probably of the- Probably a better job. Even with all the major changes they made on the second half of the season, they still managed to keep all of the important stuff. Yeah. Like, light us baby. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah, you had to have important. that in there in order to keep the, the series going. Like- she has to have that kid, so they managed to work it in there, even without doing the, uh, the sand, the uh, Sandman and Jeb's dreams thing. And like David Thewlis's character, obviously, will have to come back. Yes, no, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. Remus Lupin. I also Apple's son. Oh, okay. John D. I, I was like, who are you? To I don't. Oh, whatever. I'm, I'm really bad. I'm really bad with actors' names. Well, like, that's why I'm just giving names. you names of the yeah, characters yeah. in. Uh, these are very accurate names. Like Eyeball Guy. Took me a very long time to call him Corinthian. Yeah, I would have known Eyeball who you guy. said. If you had said Eyeball Guy, I'd be like, I know who that is. I know that person. Ruby Gemson. Yeah, I would have known that person too. See, I'll do better next time. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I imagine he's got to come back into play. Uh, that's one thing I will say. They seem to have shuffled different characters and give them just enough screen time to fulfill those contracts they made for those actors and uh, bring them back. I can see where they're going to come back, but what would you say are like your favorite bits of foreshadowing? Uh, and don't worry, it won't spoil me too much, because I'll be like, what are you talking about? Uh, the question of change. Can it mm. happen? How does it happen? What happens after it happens? Because uh, that is a massive theme throughout the series, but then really when you get to the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it would also be like how he reacts to finding out Desire's plot. Mm -hmm. Like, silly little mm. plot at the end. Yeah. Desire um, having a plot is some massive foreshadowing for the rest of the series, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I figure they're gonna be coming back with more plots that they've had that we're gonna learn about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They've been busy. <laughs> they've been busy, 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 it feels like. And they did give us, leading right into the beginning of probably of season two with Lucifer's whole... I'm going to do something that I've yeah. <laughs> that I've never done before, <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. oh, here we go. Yep. So yeah, if they if they do it exactly like it is in the comics, the very beginning of season two, you're going to get to see the entire family, destiny, desire, Ooh. death, everybody at a family family <laughs> dinner. <gasps> oh my yep. god! Don't pull a dune. <laughs> don't pull a dune. <laughs> don't delete the dinner scene, everyone. That's the most important scene, and they. Hook it from both adapts. <laughs> I'm gonna assume they're gonna do it just because, like, I don't know. They've been wanting to like adapt the Sandman for cinematically for a long time. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have for a lot of reasons because it was popular, and I think they would be like, think of all the money we could make. <laughs> I mean, you can't have all those great actors and not put them in a room together too. 
I feel like, uh, I mean, this is going to be Sandman Portal's scene. Come on. <laughs> My God. I can't wait yeah. to see Delirium. She's going to be a, a trip and a delight all at the same time. Eliana Sophie did there. <laughs> I, I see Interesting. You. I see you, Shiloh. <laughs> well, you also can see Shiloh <laughs> by uh, participating in this giveaway or buying Shiloh's book. <laughs> Uh, with your brain. You're going to see Shiloh with your own brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eliana, before we kind of close up and remind everyone where to find Shiloh's book and the giveaway, can you tell me what you would look forward to most in a season two? What character, plot, what? Uh, honestly, the exact same thing as Shiloh. I love Delirium's uh, character and portrayal, and I'm just, I that is something that I really want to see. Is there a delusional? Because that might be my favorite character. <laughs> It's delirium. All, all of them. All, okay. No, all of them are a little bit delusional in their own ways. I Ew. think that's a that's its own little like endless thing that they all have. Aww. Yeah, I think it would be also delirium, to be honest. Cool. All right. All right. I look forward to delirium. To being delirious. Her. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Who is she? We're going to find <laughs> out. Shiloh, thanks for spending time with us, uh, chatting about your new book a little bit, and of course, chatting about Sandman. Mm -hmm. I... It was very interesting to like kind of watch along and know absolutely nothing about this one. It doesn't happen to me often. I'm I'm like as I was kind of telling you guys, I almost stopped and like started reading volume one or something to see if I could catch up. But uh, and I might now. Who knows? Maybe I'll get into it. You never know. Maybe by the next time you throw out a medieval worlds of something book, <laughs> we'll be able to catch up on it. Yeah, it had been like a decade since I read the comics, so some of it, it felt like very new to me again. And I was like, memory mm -hmm. unlocked, memory unlocked. Mm -hmm. uh <laughs> so again, we are doing a giveaway for Shiloh's new book that is out. It's out on the shelves. You can have an opportunity to get it for free from us if you send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com from the email you would like to be contacted back at with a quick blurb telling us about your favorite Neil Gaiman piece. We will randomly be selecting a winner on November 5th, 2023, and contacting them via email to update them on their prize, get your contact info and shipping, etc., etc., to get that signed copy of the book. But, as said, the book is out now. Shiloh, correct me if I'm wrong, you can get an ebook, mm -hmm. you can get a physical copy, mm -hmm. you can go audiobook mm -hmm. if you so choose to listen in. Mm -hmm. Uh, all these, where would you buy it if you were buying it right now, though, Shiloh? If you're like, I'm going to go to the store, buy my book, or go <laughs> online, buy my book, where would you get it from? Literally anywhere that has books either is going to have it or can get it for you, probably. If you like audiobooks, Petraea Bouchard does the audio reading, and she is fabulous. She sounds wonderful. It sounds pretty much just exactly like it does in my head, so... Oh, okay. Faithful cool. adaptation uh -huh. of my book from, yeah. uh, from print to, to audio there. Bringing your dreams about the <laughs> audiobook into our waking world. Better than nightmares. Better than nightmares. True. <laughs> Shiloh, where online, if anyone's looking to read your essays, uh, I know you, we were talking about some of your Buffy essays mm -hmm. you've posted oh, yeah. up, where can they find you <laughs> online? On social media, on webpage, tell us, spill all. <laughs> uh, so all of that stuff is at shilohcarroll.wordpress.com. I am still on Twitter for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> Medievalism-ish. I am on Blue Sky at medievalist.bluesky.social or whatever their thingy thing is there. And, you know, Instagram, I'm around. Come find me. 
I appreciate you acknowledging, like, also that, like, it is hard to tell people, I think, your username's on Blue Sky. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, just go search for it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time again. Thanks for having me. Priceless. This was so much fun. Priceless. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to watch something else soon together, all of us. That was kind of a blast to catch up on this together. American God season two. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, I'd rather die. Uh... <laughs> well, as usual... You can catch us here, Girls Gone Canon, on a streaming provider, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a Google. Give us a Google. And you can send us an email, even if you don't want to enter. You could just hit us an email with your thoughts on gaming and some of your favorite parts of the season or what you're looking forward to. We'd love to hear it. That's at girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with... Arya uh, in A Clash of Kings. Arya 9, actually, with our friend B-Word from Kiss by Fire podcast. And we'll be back to A Song of Ice and Fire in November. So look forward to seeing you there. And of course, check us out over at Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where there are tons of perks like bonus episodes or a private Discord server that you can participate in. Super fun. Shiloh knows. <laughs> Shiloh verified. Checkmark. <laughs> I've been one of your hosts, Chloe. I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you again to our other host this week, Shiloh. 